0: Welcome back to the Bintang's podcast, number five. If you didn't have enough already, here's part two. So um, let's move on, move on, I suppose. We've been uh, we've been caught in 2007. Let's move on to 2008. And um, Australia Day festivities have always been something quite close to the Bintang. Something we've always wanted to celebrate. Um, and this this uh, 2008, we've kind of shared it with the Indians um, and played some cricket against them. Um, and then we followed up with um, an Australia Day AFL game to kick off our season against the um, the the young fellas, the Bulldogs. Um, firstly, in the cricket game, um, I understand we did quite well. Um, Steve, um, do you recall that game in two thousand and
1: eight? Yeah, it was the first one. I, thought, I mean, I came up with the idea. Of course, you know, we share a national day uh, with India, so it's Republic Day in India, and so I thought, well, why not? Why not try to pump the crowd up? We get two or three hundred people down there. We can have a cricket game before. So I approached the Indians and said, you know, can you guys get a team together? We'll get a team of Aussies together. We'll have a game before the footy. Uh, and I said, but don't go out and get the best 11 Indians in the local league because we're just going to get embassy people and whoever we can get. It's a social game. So, of course, we get there and, you know, so they got the absolute best 11 players in India they could get. Uh And so I wasn't going to play because my back was fucked. But then we needed like 60 to win off the last three overs or something. And like, fuck this, these guys have been so serious. So gone out and and, um, I'm not going to big note it. I mean, it it was not all that high quality, but I I did hit 31 off and over to to win the match for us. But the thing that made it fun was that the Indians were just so annoying because they, they wanted to win so badly. <laughs> and, and so I just got stuck in it and I told you fucking bloke this is meant to be a social game, so fuck you. Um, so but, I mean it was pretty uh, I'll be honest, it was fairly agricultural hitting. Um, just a couple did a couple did go fair way back, but they were really, really annoyed, which made it quite quite enjoyable. Uh, so but yeah. I think we had the Indiana the Indian ambassador and the Aussie ambassador out there and we had a the Indian flag and the Aussie flag. Um, so I think it was it was a top idea and we had heaps of people out there that day. Um, but you, you know that the Indian state their cricket very seriously. We know that.
2: Yeah. So and that's probably uh, indicative of the fact we've won once since that day as well, which I think was the following year. And I think since then we haven't been near it. So you know, it's a it's a good legacy that you've left. We get to go to Australia Day every year and get absolutely spanked in the morning. <laughs> and, and then we used to actually go to console ourselves by beating up on what was a, a, a team of 14 and 15 year old schoolboys, And then that evolved into beating up on, you know, the the best local players that we've been developing. And now we don't even have that because the local players beat up on us. So it's it's really gone full circle that Australia Day has been completely taken off us. Um, and yeah, we just we just cop a hiding from foreign powers that we will be copying a hiding from for the rest of history. So it's really good. Well, it's a
1: tribute, it... I guess, to the, the development work then, you know, the Indonesian boys are pumping it step. So, you know, well done to all you guys. Sorry, Mother, Go ahead.
3: Yeah, was it the first or the second one? I, I can't quite recall that uh, Butcher, uh, Butcher's company sponsored the fireworks for the night. And of course, uh, by the time it got dark and ready for the fireworks, everyone was pretty plastered. And I think the guys that are operating the fireworks were pretty plastered as well, because their fireworks were going off in all directions and the sky, <laughs> <roughety>. <laughs> that, was the, that
2: was the second one. That was when Yatesy had about seven runouts, because he just couldn't miss any time he threw a ball, which was which was pretty impressive in itself.
1: I think it was Freddie uh, from atro was was running the fireworks. I mean, it's an absolute miracle no one lost a finger or a hand that night. I mean, it, 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 <laughs> it hadn't been a lot of training or preparation. It's just like a bomb.
0: <laughs> <laughs> anyway, guys, let's we'll move
1: on. Um,
0: further in two thousand and eight, we had um, the uh, infamous trip to Laos uh, and to Thailand. We went for a trip for about uh, ten days where we. Travelled up to Vientiane and then uh, played a game there and then um, onwards to to Thailand and catching um, berry to um, up there. Um, Chris, you were uh, on this tour. Um, what are your uh, recollections of um, particularly the, the Laos section of it?
2: Yeah, look, the best thing about footy tours for me was given I was a full-time employee of the footy club, this was all work. So. You know, none of this ever came out of my uh, my four weeks annual leave that I was that I was given, which was which was which was good in itself. But no, look, we um we were the first team ever to allow and to play the the Lao elephants on their home home soil in their first international game. So that that in itself was um was actually really cool. So I remember flying from um I remember flying from Jakarta into into Bangkok on the must have been the Wednesday or the Thursday and. We had a we had a stopover um, the, the, for the night, so we were flying out to Lao the next morning. So you know, I guess there were two options. It was it was early to bed and and then up you know to the back to the airport and on the plane down to Lao, or it was an all night swim through and then to the airport on the way to on the way to Lao. So you know, given those two options, you can probably imagine the one that ninety five percent of the touring uh, team took an opportunity to to do and. Yeah, we we headed out and around and visited some of uh, Bangkok's most, you know, yeah, pretty salubrious bars. It was uh, it was bloody good fun. we were in, I don't know, at one point we were we were dancing on stage with um, it was FHM or GQ, something like that. They were having an after party that we all managed to talk our way into, and yeah, it was a, it was a bloody fun night. And then up the next morning, uh, and we get to the airport and we're kind of pushed all the way down to the to the last um the last terminal at Suvanabumi um to get on the Lao Air flight down. And um we walk out onto the onto the runway and we're playing kick to kick on the runway in in Thailand. And you know the Thai the Thai baggage handlers and the ground control crew were you know obviously not too impressed by what was going on. But I think we looked at it because we looked at the plane and, and looked at each other and thought, well shit if we're about to die on Lao Air on a Twin prop propeller thing flying into Lau. Um, we may as well have one last kick before we do it. So, yeah, all the the boys and girls on the tour had a kick, and then we jumped on the plane, and you know, miraculously made it to Lau. And yeah, it just it just kind of ramped up from there. It was um, <laughs> as a touring team, you kind of you know you you look around for any sort of backpacker you can you can find to to supplement your numbers. And I think we came across Kingsley who was uh, immediately named Kent as his nickname. And he was supposedly a, um, a professional footballer, which, you know, I think was probably a lie. I think, you know, maybe drug dealer was closer to the mark, but <laughs> oh, maybe for being unfair. But, um, but regardless, he came along, he was might a woman Might be some
1: racial profiling going on. going on there, Chris. that's, yeah.
2: that's experience. Um, but yeah, it was, I remember it was really bloody hot, but we actually had a, we actually had a very good team that had, um, that had traveled to Lao for the, for the game. Um, and we went out and they, Laos had a couple of good footballers. They had, um, a couple of blokes from the embassy who played some really good footy back in Australia, but it fell away pretty quickly. So, yeah, I remember we had a, had a bloke called Alex Winter, who was also another AAD float from Bali and, and, came across and joined us and, yeah, I can't remember the final score, but we won that game pretty convincingly. Um, and then I guess before we move on to the, I guess, the next part of the trip, maybe, you know, Steve Olmuzza, they've got their thoughts as well, but because it, it certainly kicks up another level after we move on from the game. But, you know, maybe up until that point, Steve Olmuzza, your, your thoughts?
3: Yeah, pretty impressed with uh, Alex Ritter. I think he might have kicked five goals that day, Chris. And uh...
1: Yeah, he did. He did.
3: So uh, I think I might have grabbed one or two, but uh, that's probably just um, being—I don't know—a bit generous. I think in my own recollection, there. But what a a great trip! And uh, and uh, we should also recognise that a few years later, one of the great bintangs in uh, China, Cocktail Williams, became the ambassador to uh, Laos. Fantastic effort! Yeah, absolutely,
0: absolutely. (laughs) And uh, the um, the astuteum for that uh, that particular game, Chris. Uh, the the umpires um, they were um, they were quite good that day. Is that right? From my recollection, yeah.
2: Look, Lau were probably very ahead of their time in the in the sense that they grabbed um, a couple of Aussaders and an AAD, and they had three female umpires umpiring us. So that was a uh, that was something quite different uh, for, for that because that was what two thousand and eight, and women's footy hadn't really taken off like it has now. So. No, hats off, hats off to Lau for the forward thinking and what they uh, what they did there was, you know, they did a good job.
0: Yeah, great. And you were, um, yep. you were instrumental. Anything in else the, to add? You were instrumental. Yeah, no, no, in- no, they
2: were just a you know, really, really friendly, really friendly group. Uh, you could yeah. a few drinks them after as well, because you don't normally get to do that with young <laughs> Yeah. Chris yeah,
0: is, you is very you supportive. You were discussing the rules with them after, right?
2: Yeah, no, pretty late into the night, but it was it was good. They were um, they were pretty receptive to everything I was offering
1: yeah they had, a, they, had
3: a, uh, they had a function on the banks of the mekong from memory after the game and of course we all yeah, had a few and then they had a handball competition now there's people playing you know doing this handball competition for 10 15 yards and i really couldn't see the sense of it all so after a while i decided to uh well bugger the football in the handball competition i launched myself from about 15 meters Head first into the hole of the handball competition, which is a big board stuck up there. Well, I don't know how I didn't decapitate myself, but there was dust and all sorts of shit flying around. And anyway, they, they canned that as soon as I did that because uh,
0: this was just getting out of control and dangerous.
1: <laughs> yep, head of federal police.
0: Unlike you taking yeah. things to another level, Muggs.
1: Yeah, right. Mm. But, uh, well, I'm, glad that, that, like that. I'm glad that Chris, Chris, you know, did, you know, was very friendly with the umpires because the only other bloke who picked up on tour was was King was Kent Kingsley. So the bloke, you know, we met him in the in the foyer before the game. He played about five minutes and then he joined us out the night after and just absolutely cut a sway. Um, I mean, most of the boys, there was, I think we met the. Um, the, the entire gay and transgender population of, of the NTN out that night, and and the, and, and the, the, you know, they were pretty interested in, in the boys, but no one else did did much uh, in the way of action. The, the one who who we were trying very hard to, I mean, Sick Mick, so Mick Burke, uh, top fella who got the nickname Sick Mick because he just kept uh, chucking up training, um, and he didn't like the nickname Sick Mick. He wanted to, be, he, he said he wanted, he declared before the tour he wanted to be known as the Little Master. Not as not as sick, Mick. And so words gone out. Okay, Mick, if you can pick up on this tour, we promise that from here on in we'll call you uh, the Little Master. Uh, and so all the boys like really tried very hard uh, to to help sick Mick to pick up on that tour, so he could change the nickname. Um, but other than other than the you know the gay guys and the transgenders, there was really nothing going except for. Um, those who are close to the umpires and Kent Kingsley, who just took them all from us. I think Sick Mick just remained Sick Mick forever, didn't he?
2: But to well, be he fair, was... if we had taken up one of those offers that was afforded to him, we would have quite happily afforded him the nickname Little Master. So really, he he only has himself to blame for, for living four years in Jakarta with the nickname Sick Mick.
1: No, he did, right. We're an inclusive club. We said, mate, there's no shame if you take, you know... Whoever you, as long as you pick up with anyone it doesn't have to be a woman it's fine with us you will be the little master but he, w- he wouldn't go there he wasn't open-minded enough
0: i think you did, remember did he, yeah. I, he, he actually has got some he's got some um argument here because if i remember rightly he picked up uh that night um he, he went home with um
1: uh, a chef actually <laughs> <laughs> he, did, he did we woke up with
2: the chef it's true um, he's, yeah, he's, he's one of the, he's one of the first blokes in history who did, had to do nothing and just kind of, it, it eventuated. Um, <laughs> no, so I guess the, the, the hotel we were staying at in Laos was, you know, the best that Laos had to offer. Um, and you know, it was, it was fine for our purposes. We, we, all we needed was somewhere to rest our head, but that a lot of very odd, um, statues around, around both the foyer and the rest of the hotel. So we thought that, um, you know, Mick might enjoy waking up next to one of the statues, and the um the Swedish pizza chef is uh, is who he ended up next who ended up next to the next day. So no, it was um yeah, it was a bloody yeah bloody funny night, and uh, that part of the Lao Tour was, was was very very humorous.
1: Yeah, the waking up with the chef wasn't sufficient to, uh, to earn in the nickname Little Master, unfortunately.
0: No, okay. Master Butchers. He did he didn't do that himself. He uh, he got that passed on him. But um yeah, it uh, I think Matt you were um seconded to go somewhere else after the uh, the V N T N part of it. But uh, I know Chris and I think I also came up to Vang Vien um and got involved in um, the midweek tour up there where we got went out to the um one of the rivers there and uh, got on some tubes. What do you remember of that? What are your memories of that, Chris?
2: Oh look, I'm I'm pretty unashamed of the fact I really enjoyed jumping off high shit. And um, that was, you know, for, for a young bloke, the ability to jump off anything and everything there was was pretty good. So I remember you just get in the you get in your tubes and you start rolling down the river and and beer lao, I don't know what it is, but I still maintain it's probably the best tasting beer on earth. And so you'd sit there, you'd be having your beer lao, and then, you know random bloke would throw out a rope pull you into his bar on the side of the on the side of the river you'd buy another beer and with every beer you got a shot of the the lao lao which is the local rice wine so we were just you know (coughs) down the river drinking rice wine but then at all these different bars they'd either have a big water slide or they'd have you know a rope swing or they'd just have a big tree you could jump off so yeah for a young bloke that enjoyed doing those things it was um bloody good fun getting you know full of liquor and doing backflips off a off a rope swing um you know but but sadly i guess it's all been closed down because of some really um really horrible stuff that happened to to a few australian tourists and a few international tourists so look we were we had a bloody good time but I, i think it's fair to say you talk about um you know, scooter races in Bali back from double six. I think we're, we're pretty lucky. We walked away um, with everyone intact after that loud after that loud tour because it got pretty wild with the, uh, you know, the high jumps and the buckets of awesome and everything else that went along with it. Didn't
1: yeah. you have to walk across the bridge. I, I heard a few of the boys were like, you know, on the edge of basically falling off a, a high suspension bridge to, to their death. Yeah, uh, just to get there. Yeah. Oh, I remember like uh, the guru, Jason Moynihan, had, uh, faced some, some challenging circumstances on that trip, is what I heard. So I mean, let's be thankful it was us, not it wasn't us, uh, who led to that to all that stuff being shut down. Yeah, uh, I think yeah, the
0: Jason Guru had um, uh, had eaten some pizza that uh, maybe made that uh, that walk across the bridge a little bit more um, how how should we say challenging than perhaps it would have normally been.
2: Yeah, the the old Lao space pizza was uh was certainly uh certainly interesting. But um yeah, Vang Vien was a that was a that was a really good good time and I think pretty unexpected actually. I think we all I think we all knew we were gonna have a good fun tour, but I don't think anyone realized what we were getting ourselves into heading down to Vang Vien. Um it was yeah, it was a lot of good fun.
0: Well I'd actually been there about five years before and done the same um, river tubing expedition. Um, but it was very far removed before that. There were no bars. It was very serene. It was just going through the forest, and uh, it was about an hour-long trip, and that uh, hour-long trip, um, the second time around, when there were, like, 30 bars on each side of the, um, of the river, certainly changed the dynamic, for sure.
1: It's a little, little like it's analogous to your own evolution, uh, MJ, as a non-drinking Yes. vegan when you first arrived in Jakarta <laughs> 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 Very quickly, things changed for you when you when you met the Bintang's boys as well. Thank you Bintang, Thank you very much in my
0: life. Um, and so then we moved on to Thailand and um, we were very fortunate to be invited up to Thailand to um, be a part of the, I think it was the ANZAC game um, up there at uh, um at Hellfire Pass. And we had a very moving um, ceremony um, up at Hellfire Pass, Mazza. Do you re- recall that um, that trip and being up at Hellfire Pass? Oh, hell, the Hellfire Pass ceremony on Anzac Day is just a,
3: a, such a highlight. Um, I think that every Australian that gets an opportunity to go up there and and do the dawn service on Hellfire Pass and see what the um, what the uh, diggers had to go through and and suffer Uh, and they were very fortunate on this trip they still had four or five surviving um, uh, diggers that used to come up there every year and support uh, the the footy game. so the the Thailand Tigers are on a winner there with the the annual footy match and uh, so it was just a, a weekend which is absolutely fantastic. Uh, A number of years later, when I was posted to Pakistan, I formed an AFL team in Pakistan, the Pakistan Ma Cause, and uh, we convinced Thailand that we were good enough to uh, come down and grace the Hellfire Pass Anzac weekend. And, of course, we turned up with three guys. Rooster turned up because he wanted another country to play for, and uh, we rounded the rest up in the bars and had another great weekend up at Hellfire Pass.
0: Yeah, it was some sort of trip, wasn't it? Very moving um, ceremony morning there, Maza. Um And, um, you know, seeing some of the old diggers there and um, trying to, in some way, envision what those guys had to go through in, um, in back in the day um, was, um, I'm not sure we can even grasp what they actually had to experience, but um, it was extremely moving um, ceremony for the guys and, and a privilege to, to play up there. Unfortunately, we didn't come away with the win, um, but um, yeah, it was it, uh, a fantastic, um, a fantastic trip, and and um, uh, very moving to walk around the the cemetery up there that they've got, um, and um, see a lot of uh, very very young Australian names on those on those um, on those crosses. Yeah, no. Um... Now, all credit to
3: the Thailand Tigers for all that, and uh, them continuing to do it. Of course, the Bintangs started up a their own Anzac Day game up at Balakapan a couple of years later, based on that principle, and that was uh, pretty successful for a couple of years, uh, up against the Borneo Bears. So
0: it's great. Yeah, certainly was, certainly was. That's it. Later in the year, we played um, against Malaysia. Uh, we travelled to Malaysia, and. Um, uh, I think this is a tour you came on too, Chris, and you were um, not so much interested in when we got to the hotel. You're not so much interested in the game after you saw who was uh, staying also in the hotel that time.
2: Yeah, look, it's always it's always interesting when you're off the team bus and there's forty Carlsberg cheerleaders. So it was um wasn't bad for the team team morale. Uh, and the, the touring squad wasn't bad either. So we were we were primed for a good for we a good game that day.
0: I think they were, um, we were touring with a team that was um, perhaps be- better off the field than on the field because we didn't come away with a win. But um, I understand yeah. that the uh, the guys who were uh, doing the CCTV recording um, would have got a
2: fair few good pitches later in the evening. Uh, well, the, the standard post-game pool session, um, we just had two of them because the we had the first one um, and then went out on the town. But... The KL, which I, you know, I still maintains a great city, but has a has a two AM curfew or a one thirty curfew on all its bars. So, you know, in true vintage style, um, everyone went and raided every minimart fridge they could find on the way back to the hotel, and everyone um, everyone went back for a pool session. We were just lucky to be joined by the Carlsberg crew.
1: How many Carlsberg girls made uh, it back? Ten, well, ten or twelve. Nice work. That's solid. It was good fun. And Chris didn't invite
0: too many other guys. It was just him and the 12 girls.
2: I'm not an idiot.
0: <laughs> okay, and then uh, Steve, actually you were wrapping things up in, in 2008, right? Um, and you were <coughs> heading back to, heading over to the Philippines.
1: That's right. So yeah, the, the Lao Thailand tour was, was my last um, and I, I remember uh, you talked about the Anzac Day, the, the, the you know the dawn service. So the the, the the tour T-shirt, the theme for that tour was the Matt Stevens kamikaze tour, and it had a the tour T-shirt had me in a in a zero with, it, with Makiko, the name of my wife, written on the side of it, saying "Flying through the goalpost, saying I ain't ever coming back," uh, which is quite a clever T-shirt. But then the boys realised it maybe wasn't when the word came out tour t-shirts for the dawn service someone took a look on the back and thought maybe that wasn't the best <laughs> most appropriate option for an anzac day uh, service and i, I do recall and, I, and it's probably not appropriate but i've, I've, I've had a few wines so i do remember my my then uh, ben fiance rang me up when we're on that tour and she's like so what's this anzac day about again i'm like oh it's the day when when we commemorate how, how your people uh, killed my people um <laughs> It's going to be really bad now, and she's like, "Where are you again?" Oh, we're in uh, near the bridge over the River Kwai. And She's like, "Well, at least we left them some infrastructure." <laughs> I just like <laughs> we built them a decent railway. <laughs> what are they complaining about? <laughs> <laughs> so just. <laughs> So just to be clear, she doesn't really mean this, but it gives you a bit of an insight into the character of my wife. She's a funny woman. Um, <laughs> so there you go. So yeah, that was my last tour, but I did, you know, after I moved to Manila, I was fortunate to be able to come back for the next few years. And I was working in East Timor up until 2011, back and forth. And so it's remarkable how my uh, East Timor trips would Somehow uh, coincide with with uh, barley masters or barley nines tournaments when I had to come through uh, Denpasar, so yeah, managed to keep playing for a few more years even even after I'd left. Yeah, right.
0: Okay, and then um, but you're uh, you seem to be going away for a long time. There, uh, there was about a we we going to get heads up that you were you're gonna be leaving about six months out, and so we uh, started the uh, the going away or farewell parties um about six months out and um they seem to continue on and on and on. There seem to be a fair few nights in X2 that I vaguely remember where we are uh um enjoying ourselves in lubricous ways and farewelling you over cheers another cheers goodbye for Sivo um another another night out um over about a six month period there it was uh, a
1: lot of fun. Yeah we gave X2 it, a good a good run. Um you know it was an emotional time for me It's still it's still and yeah, it still hurts to have left. I, I still miss it.
2: What do you think one of those farewells, one of those farewells, Matt, was the infamous night uh, with the granddaughter of, you know, arguably Indonesia's best ever leader who proceeded to, you know, tell us about the fact that she was Samantha Sakano Putri. She owned five shopping malls. Her best friend was Heath Ledger and she had 16 handphones. And, you know, so we, we obviously didn't believe her. Um, you know, she, she told us, she's like, you know, so these are all my security staff. And you kind of said, oh, okay. And what would I have to do for for this, this security detail to come and grab me? And she said, you could kiss me. And your next response, <laughs> okay, what else would I have to do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: No, she claimed to have presidential security guard uh, all around the, the X2. Um, well, and I'm, you know, Chris just had his little baby daughter in, in the screen, for those who can't see, so I'm a little wary of talking about our X2 exploits. Uh, but yes, so in the end, she was kind of so all over us. So I think in the end, I'm not mistaken, Chris, I had, you had to pretend to be passed out and drunk, and I had to pretend to carry you out of there. Otherwise, uh, she was determined to make one of us kiss her and, and have presidential security guard. Arrest us, a strange evening.
2: <laughs> but nice to be in the, uh, I guess, nice to be in the presence of Indonesian royalty, if not for a brief period.
1: That's it. Well, I guess she, she was in the presence of Bintang's royalty, so uh, equal on both sides.
0: All right, so um, just going on, um, Chris, um, can you recall, how, how did you win the golden headband that year?
2: um that was a grand final function so yeah look grand final day comes around and you get pretty excited i'd made the the video that year with um with fester i think um that might have been the year where we were we were pitching to be the the 18th team into the afl so instead of greater western sydney so we highlighted the high quality infrastructure and everything that we had and the great playing list and um, the facilities. It was, uh, yeah, so it was, a, it was a good video. And again, the guys from Fox Sports through Nick McCarter were, were fantastic in supporting that. So it must have been a big week, kind of getting that together and setting up the event. And then when it all went, all went really well, I probably got a little bit too excited. And um, yeah, look, I drunk a, uh, drunk a fair bit. Um Needless to say I, I vomited on a few people and on the bar um, and then proceeded to ride the elevator whilst unconscious at the shangri-la and just kind of went up and down the floors for for a fair while not before I've been trying to to fight a couple of people who I was you know dead set that I uh, was not too drunk and should be able to remain at the party which well, what's incorrect. not clear is
1: how long how long Chris was in in the elevator going up and down. <laughs> A couple, a, couple of people, a couple of people at least an hour and a part told me they just went into an elevator and Bandy was asleep on the floor <laughs> an hour later. The,
2: the timeline would suggest it was at least sort of three, four hours I was in that <laughs> elevator. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but the, the best part was he would occasionally wake up from the floor and, and like just slag whoever it was off. Like someone would come in and say, I just went in the elevator to you know, drop something in my room. Bandy's just giving me a hard time <laughs> <laughs> Bandy's told me I'm a fucking idiot or something then passed out again I dropped the thing in my room, get in Bandy's asleep, as you get out of the room yeah, fuck off to this Bandy, like I haven't done anything it's just
2: well my, I think my, my kind of thought process at that point was if, if you were all still enjoying the party and I wasn't allowed to then at least you had to be saddled with the guilt of leaving me there so yeah the abuse came thick and fast from from what I was told because I don't remember a thing of it
0: it may have been Chris that you thought you were actually it. in your room, and you were getting disturbed by people coming into your room when you're actually in the elevator.
2: Well, that's that's also part of it, but no, it was. Um, look, it's probably you know it's, uh, it's it was a deserved it was a deserved win, similar to Steve-O, not one that I um, thought you know I would have the opportunity to take home, but I think. Um, being uh, and I, I don't know, Maddie. Did you win the BJ the, the year that you won the headband?
0: Um, I did not. No. You did won. You, the, you, you won the BJ the same year. No,
1: I didn't. Know. You, you're the only one to win the double.
2: Yes, yes, I think I might be the um I might be the only one to win the headband double in one year. Which is um look if if that's what I take as my legacy at the club, then I'm I'm comfortable with that.
1: Yeah, be proud. Be proud. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Yeah. Going I, on to. I
1: mean, um, I, I should, I, I'm going I'm to continue on that one just for a minute. I won't name the individual, but an individual who is married.
2: <laughs> I was, I was did, wondering whether to. <laughs> to bring I this.
1: obviously won't name the individual. An individual who, who is married, uh, who was at that event, um, crumbled uh, quite late on. And, and there was a very attractive woman that had been at him all night and he crumbled and said, Bugger it, I'm going. And he goes off into the lift to go up to his room with this, with this very attractive woman. And then about two minutes later, he's back. I'm like, what happened, mate? He's like, I uh, get in the lift. You know, I still think I'm feeling a bit guilty. I shouldn't be doing this. And then Ben <laughs> is unconscious in the lift. And then he just wakes up and looked at me and said, what the fuck are you doing? You're married. And then passed out again. And he said, <laughs> he felt so guilty. <laughs> he just came back, <laughs> so there's Bandy. He's passed out in the lift, but there's still a strong moral and ethical uh, you know back- backbone to him. I mean, you, you- you've got to admire that.
2: <laughs> Let's see, um, I mean, there was all the you know I could have had the nickname Compass or anything off the back of that, but um, but no, you uh, know, it remained as it was. But uh, yeah, it's um, I <laughs> yeah, certainly interesting having that recounted and. And if that uh, person is listening, um, you're welcome.
1: Yeah, he's probably not listening, but um, the next day he did, he did, he did thank you for it through me because then he knows that you don't remember actually doing it.
2: No, very funny.
1: So
0: moving on to uh, 2009, if we could, guys. Um, obviously, 2008 was a very memorable one. Lots of uh, very funny moments. Um, the 2009 sort of kicked off um, with our, as Marza mentioned before, our, our trip to uh, Balikpapan. Um, and we were doing like the Anzac Day, I think up there this year. And uh, it was a, quite a memorable trip as well. If I remember rightly, it was Gilsey's first tour, uh, Lee Van Gill's first tour. And uh, he was rooming with, um, with uh, Greg Patching, if I'm not wrong. Um, do you remember this, uh, Chris?
2: Yeah. So the, um, the infamous skills, tour, um, similar to a lot of blokes you get, that come through the club. They're pretty, uh, you know, you see them on the training track and you go, geez, this bloke can play a bit and much the same for Gilsey. Everyone could, could kind of tell this bloke was going to be an absolute gun, which was, which was always warranted, um, and always welcomed. And then we finally get on tour and, uh, yeah, he uh, he had a few beers and a few more, and then it turned out that uh, he was going to be he was going to be a handful uh, on the drink. But you know, with a lot of players, if 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 they're going to carry on on the piss, they've got to be able to get a kick, and he could certainly do that. So I believe this uh, I That's... believe this was the tour where he uh, relieved himself on the curtains in the middle of the night when he uh, when he woke up and didn't really know where he was.
0: Yeah, he he was. Uh... I don't think he'd lost his phone at this stage, but um, he, um, he found his way home um, and somehow lost his way to the bathroom one night um, uh, after the game. And um, his first tour certainly gave himself a bit of a reputation um, that um, perhaps he should be uh, rooming by himself from here on in. But a uh, good way to kick off your uh, your first tour for uh, with the Bintangs for sure. Um, Philippine tours are always uh, very interesting. Um, we're always uh, an enjoyable trip. We uh, we went to the Philippines later in 2009, I believe, and uh, for the Masters. Sorry, the uh, Manila 12s. Um, and and um, oh, so it wasn't for the Manila 12s. It was for a one-off game, and um, we won quite comfortably there. But um, the uh, the nighttime activities in um, in Makati, is it Makati, Chris? Uh, that were always uh, quite memorable. You remember this trip? I think Wombat might have been involved in this trip as well, right?
2: Yeah. The look. The after. The after games in in Manila are always pretty legendary, and I think this one was where there was a lot of the uh, the half cooked chicken in the egg Filipino delicacy eating going on. But I think the highlight was was uh, seeing Wombat. Uh, Sean McCaffrey as he's as he's known on his passport, uh talking about how he could get in a ring and and um beat up midgets. Um so we, you know, we all chipped in and and afforded him the opportunity to do that. And um let's just say it was yeah, it was less ideal for, for poor old Wombat because he he got flogged by four midgets in a bar in Manila and was very, very worse for wear off the back of it.
0: Yeah, that was. Um, I think he was. He was told um, by the manager, "If you hurt my midgets, I've got any." And he showed him his gun or something like that. Um, so don't even go there. So he sort of ran around the uh, the ring, scared that he was going to get hurt by these midgets. But um, in fact, the midgets actually drilled him.
2: No, it was very funny. Wombat's a wombat's a big man, and seeing seeing a big man like wombat get beaten up by four midgets is uh, is always going to be a highlight. Yeah
0: that was uh, a, a quite a memorable trip to um, where um, I think max and Jerry got into some issues with the, the, with the police uh, because of an unpaid bill or something as well which um, ended up negotiating, at, negotiating them out of the, out of the issue with the police again um, in the middle of the night so um, yeah that was uh, quite a memorable trip. Bit of a common theme there, Matt, with you getting in and up in the back of the lockup, ran uh, after tours. It does sound like that, doesn't it, Mazza? Unfortunately, yes. Um,
1: uh, MJ was usually the adult in the room, in, in, in his defence, uh, helping out the rest of the blokes who weren't really capable.
0: Yeah, thanks for that, uh, Stevo, um, getting me out of that mire. <laughs> Um, back of the uh, back of 2009, we had um, perhaps our best win ever against the um, the Bali geckos, uh, where we went over came over to Bali with a reasonably strong team. Um, we knew that uh, Bali also had a very strong team. They had, they still had Hinchi and they had Gunny and and uh, Hendo and a few of the other guys who were, were big big time players for the, the Bali team, um, and um, we came across uh, reasonably confident that we we'd do well. Um, and um, uh, butcher um, actually tore it apart on that day um, he's kicked the uh, rec- record amount of goals for the uh, the Jakarta bintangs uh, in a single game of 12 goals which was uh, an absolute amazing feat that day. Um, Mazza and Chris we, you guys were involved in that day too right
2: yeah it was that was um, that was the day we had a couple of we, we had a lot of uh, young blokes who had been living in and around Jakarta but hadn't necessarily played a lot with the bin tanks. So a lot of the new guys who'd come up with that Youth Ambassador for Development program, um, one of whom, Ben Lieber, uh, could play a bit. Um, and for whatever reason, we just couldn't get him down to the club because of work and the like. But he came down that day and absolutely dominated against Bali and you had Drew Higgins and, and Sam Shorgi, who were just, you know, young, fit guys who could run all day and then... A bloke that I played a bit of footy with back home, Kyle was just up there, so I got in touch with him and got him along. So yeah, it was um, you know, going down to Bali was always a challenge, but when you go down to Bali and you know really give him a touch up, that's um that stands out as one of the better wins that I was involved in. Um, at the club, it was it was really enjoyable, bloody good day.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and uh, a guy that um, Matt would probably have. Um know had a lot to do with as well was um barra steve barakoff um who had been around the club for many years he uh he ended up after uh so many years of being involved in the club kicked his first goal that day so that was uh, a, a fantastic moment
2: it's funny what yeah, these what... things mean just to... sorry Matt. It's, it's funny what these things mean to some people because barra's are. Uh... You know, Barra's has had a very long um, and successful career as a public servant, and he's been on many postings. and um, The the one picture that takes pride of place in in Barra's um, in office uh, is the photo of him being chaired off by the Jakarta Bintangs in Bali that day, and he still looks back on his time as being some of the best, um, some of his best years. And I can understand, you know, uh, why because of what the club, what the club is, um, and. Yeah, he just loved it. And the fact that you could just get this bloke from Canberra who never really played much and get him a goal and, you know, just just makes his year was uh, was was bloody good fun.
1: Yeah. I think we had a bit of a quest for a while, didn't we, to get Barra one vote yeah. in the BJ Morgan before he finished. So, you know, a lot of the boys are trying to kick it in his direction and, you know, get him in the game. Um, you know, th- those are the great Bintang stories, aren't they? Um, you know, guys who didn't grow up with footy and, and enjoyed it, it's, 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 it's nice to hear that, that uh, that takes pride of places, you know, his photo there, it's a top fella, as you say, a very accomplished person, um, they, um, um, it's really nice to hear that he enjoyed that so much, top fella. Yeah,
3: exactly, exactly, Matt, there were a, a number of characters that hadn't played much footy, and if you remember uh, Shervo and Thorpey, um, I think Shervo, I can't remember his name, but uh, he, he won a... Uh, bronze medal
1: at the Seoul Olympics in the four by one, four four hundred metres. Uh, he was a finalist. Didn't, he didn't win a medal. He was a finalist in the in the four x four hundred. Yep, Seoul Olympics. And who was the other guy? Uh, Thorpey. Who? What was his name again? Andy McCann. Yeah, yeah. And they were they were the strength and strength and conditioning coaches for the Indonesian Olympic team, and yeah. uh, they, they played with us that year. Sorry, Mother, Keep talking.
3: Yeah, no. These characters just uh, just made the club, and uh, when you when you looked at uh, all the bin that that uh, you run into around uh, Jakarta, you know most of them were young professionals uh, doing uh, responsible jobs. They would probably get responsibility that wouldn't have got in Australia at their age, and, uh, and they came down to enjoy the footy. I think Jakarta being dangerously beautiful at that time added to uh, added to the experience and. Uh, the thing that's just stuck in my mind all the way along is that, yeah, we all went along to play footy, but by jeez, these guys could turn it on after the game. And uh, it was just
1: incredible. You know, you know back then, in, you know, this uh, 07, 08, 09 period, uh, you know, for a group of amateurs, we, we had Rob Ballard and, and Andy McCann, you know, running our fitness. And these guys, as I said, were strength and conditioning coaches for the Indonesian Olympic team. Um, and then, we, remember after that, we had Milky, uh, I forget I forget Milky's name, but he he was former fitness coach at the Frio Dockets. So it was kind of classic bin Thangs. You had this guy, a bunch of guys who were you know, real amateurs playing footy, uh, but you know these type of super accomplished people would come in, and and they would, you know, we were extremely fit in those couple of years. Those guys used to run our our, our fitness sessions, and
0: there
3: was a champion two hundred meter runner that ran for Australia and uh, worked for the ANZ Bank. I think I can't recall his name at the moment.
0: Uh, 800 metre, that was Paul Byrne, yeah. Yeah, um, fantastic. He won, uh, won the World Junior Championship.
3: Yeah, well, I'm just trying to think of Milky's name, but he's uh, pretty prominent down at my local surf life-saving club uh, uh, at City Beach in WA, so I get to run into him, but I've, I've got to make a point of it.
0: Yeah, thanks, Mazza. And I think you mentioned it before about uh, Jakarta being dangerous and beautiful. But um, you know, I think that's what made um, you know these experiences and these people around us um, so so much more uh, important. That the the, the bintang so much more important because the um, in amongst all these uh, fantastic times of touring and and getting around, your mates and things like yes. that. Unfortunately, we were faced with some um, some some real challenges. Um, Around, around that time, we had the, the Marriott bombing um, um, in and around two. I think it was around two thousand um, um, and eight, two thousand and nine, and and unfortunately lost one of our one of our guys, Craig Sanger, uh, Mazza.
3: Yeah, exactly. That was um uh, that was the uh, the second uh, Marriott bombing. Um, uh, we had just left the Marriott that day Well, I lived in the Marriott cylinder apartments and I uh, just got to work and the bomb went up. My wife was uh, upstairs. Unbeknown to us at the time, uh, Craig was attending a um, breakfast meeting down in the foyer and caught the full, full blast of a suicide bomb the hotels looking for um, Craig with uh, Craig's morning. Uh, and uh, inevitably uh, we got news that Craig uh, Craig unfortunately took the took the brunt of the blast and uh, truly um, truly tragic uh, situation similar to the Bali bombing of 2002 and subsequent bombings um, we uh, used to run into Craig's uh, Craig's sister uh, in um, in Canberra when I used to go back there for consultation to get presentations she'd come in and she'd see me sorry about this but she would get very emotional, have to walk out, and uh, so the whole Craig Singer um, um, incident. My wife went and stayed with his wife at the hotel until her family came up a few days uh, a few days later, and um, yeah, just a, just a horrible period in Bintang's history. What a what a fantastic guy, and I'm glad that uh, I think you put together a nice tribute for him, uh, MJ. One night, nice video tribute which encompassed uh, the the rugby that he played and also the footy. And um, I guess to finish it on a brighter note, uh, that aspect, um, Steve-O's probably got a bit of a story to tell about the Sanger family.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, you know, like I I, I I went to school with with Craig's um, sister. Yes, we shouldn't overstate our our two week romance in in Year Twelve. Um, <laughs> But in, in all seriousness, so you know, at the 2015 reunion that we had in, in Jakarta for the 20th anniversary of the club, um, you know, we had a tribute to all the players who would passed. Um, there was, you know, there was um, Lofty and and Greggy Parham, and there was Craig, and, and I and uh, I got in touch with Craig's sister and told her, you know, all those years later that he, he wasn't forgotten. The club was still paying tribute to him, and 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 the boys were were um, commemorating what had happened and I know that she and the family really appreciated the club hadn't forgotten and forgotten Craig so yeah I mean it, it I mean I think everyone is fortunate that we had people of the caliber of and quality of Marzio there helping out the families and and trying to 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 deal with you know what was a devastating situation yeah
2: absolutely yeah, that was, I guess Craig um Craig was a, a trade commissioner with AusTrade, and I was I was lucky enough to, to to do the same job as Craig uh albeit 10 years later and the ten year anniversary of Craig's death, we uh, I was lucky enough to be the guy who got to organise the the renaming of the uh, the Oz Trade Area, the Australian Embassy, the Craig singer uh, Craig Memorial Wing. So, that's no, really good. It's um it was a pretty tough time for the club, and you know his family still deal with that now, but they came up and they they are in great spirits, and they're just you know they were just really thrilled that he was a part of something both with the Bintangs, the Bantangs, but also with Austrade where his memory lives on. So it was, um, yeah, tough, tough period in the uh, history of the club. Thanks,
0: Chris and and uh, Mazza and Matt. Um, awesome to to recall and, and um, remember such a fantastic guy that that was Craig Sanger. And I think everyone feels the
1: same. Yeah.
0: Anyway, so, yeah, I mean, we might wrap it up, but before we do wrap it up, perhaps we can um, finish off with uh, the traditional thing we usually finish off with in this uh, podcast and um, perhaps ask Mazza um, first what has what the, the bintangs made, meant for you, made over the years? And you, in reflection, um, your time here in, in Jakarta, I mean, you were here for a couple of stints and um, what it's uh, meant for you over the years and then post you leaving it as well.
3: Yeah, well, uh, my career finished about two decades before I first went to Jakarta, so uh, it gave me a new lease of life and uh, in in pretty difficult circumstances, I have to say, for everyone. Meeting uh, the young professionals that were Australians up there doing fantastic work in a lot of different um, areas of industry. Um, But uh, I guess um, what it left for me, uh, I, I went to Pakistan for three years, sorry, now being five years, five and a half years, What I took out of the Bintang's program was that, listen, uh, there's nothing happening in Pakistan. We can do some things up here in Pakistan that were done in Jakarta. uh, Again, impoverished nations um, and uh, they weren't exposed to footy. So we started up a competition up there with a few teams. Um, We were involved heavily in the cricket, also cricket foundation. All this has really come from my experiences in Jakarta and seeing... The youth program there and the way the bintangs engage with the community so this is what we try to do uh, in um, in pakistan and and thankfully our cricket foundation is still going to this day uh, we're proposing to tour again next year late next year COVID permitting so that's what i've really taken out of it and um i can even take it into retirement so um, yeah i was just privileged to, to have had
1: the opportunity
0: magnificent mother yeah steve
1: yeah, I mean, I don't want to talk about myself here because I did that before. But I mean, just building on what Mazza said in my concluding remarks, to think about how the club model has been spread across the region. So you know, Mazza there in Pakistan, you know, Hegzi uh, took the Bintang's model and revived it to, go to Tokyo Goanas. Um, the the Bogor Flyer did it in Vietnam. Cam Fiedler's done it in Singapore. Kind of trying to change things up. I think Nui and Benny Giles and. Uh, CJ and, and John O. Williams in, in in Bangkok. So really, you know, if if uh, imitation is the greatest form of flattery, I think you can see that what the what the bintangs have created is, is spread across the region and a lot of guys have taken that that experience with them and, and been able to then contribute in other places. So I reckon, you know, that's part of the legacy of the club or of this this series is all about looking back at the history. I think that's a big part of it as well. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. Magnificent. it's, it's, it is a real,
0: uh, the, the bones of the club have, have really, um, been able to, um, promote the football game throughout Asia. Um, and, uh, I think, uh, the, the way that people have traveled throughout Asia and then taken the things they've learned to these other clubs has been fantastic. So Chris, um, what about you, mate? Um, what, what's the club mean to you? And, and, um, and now that you've left the, left the Jakarta, uh,
2: yeah, it's probably and it, it sounds—I don't know—it might sound a bit full-on, but I reckon it, it probably changed the whole trajectory of my life. If I'm—if I'm brutally honest, um, obviously I knew mother as a young bloke, and and he's the one who first got me involved with the footy club, and then first meeting Steve-O. And I guess as a 19-year-old coming to Indonesia, I was—you know—I uh, thought I knew everything, and um, but realised that there was a hell of a lot more outside of Perth, and and getting up there and and seeing kind of this massive mega city that was just bloody good fun to live in but then hearing from all the different people the really interesting work that they were doing I think it really opened my eyes to to what really was possible and it probably off the back of that I went back to I went back to Perth and really had no interest from that day forward in in playing kind of the, the footy I was before I left and I was that was it I was full blown into my studies to make sure that I put my best foot forward in that regard because it was, I guess, even if it wasn't uh, a conscious thought, I think even subconsciously, I really wanted to get back and have that kind of what I'd seen as the expat lifestyle and, you know, working in the embassy and doing all that sort of stuff. So I think, you know, the ability to get back initially through the, the development program and then, from there to I guess do a decent enough job that I was noticed by people within the embassy to be given a chance to to join their team as a as a policy advisor to to kind of understand what was going on there and then to eventually um, come back as a as a trade commissioner for Oz Trade and then off the back of that, you know, be asked to come back and and head up WA's trade and investment agency. Um, yeah, I think it's not a stretch to kind of say that the Bintangs, you know, seriously impacted on the trajectory of my career and my life, and I guess everything that I've 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 got off the back of it. Um, you know, I think it what it means to me. I, probably a few years ago, you know, I was in tears at a BJ Morgan night talking about the like all the young kids that I'd coach. So yeah, it's it's a hugely important part of my life. And now that I'm a bit removed from it, um, it's you know it's just difficult during COVID cause there's really not that understanding of when we might get back there and get back involved, but it's the sort of club that you, you kind of leave and you you'll always be a part of and always be involved in. And I think that's the most special thing about it is that we're all together doing this thing. And you hear the, you know, the, the 12 guys before us who've had the discussions on this podcast and there'll no doubt be another great group of blokes after us talking more about it. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's just a hugely impressive thing and I think without it it's it's no stretch to say that without the club there's no chance in hell I would have spent a decade in Jakarta it just wouldn't have happened
0: yeah 100% agree Chris uh I'm, I'm feel the same way I, I came up uh, as a one-year um uh, contract and and I'm still here 16 16 years later so married to the country with a couple of kids too so um yeah, um, the Bintangs, I've got a lot of O2O to, o to it as well. Just just the same as you and, um, and many others as well, who the legacy lives on very strongly. So, um, look, on that note, we might uh, leave it there, guys. It's been uh, great chatting with you. And thanks again for being part of our um, our podcast. Um, Maz, have you got anything else you want to say just to finish off? No, mate, I'm done. Thank you. All right, mate, good job. Thanks very much for being a part of it, Maza. All right, Chris and uh, Steve, awesome guys. Thank you again. Yeah.
1: yeah Hi, Chris, so... Always a pleasure. I'm, I'm ready to do a third round too, if anyone wants to invite me again. <laughs> You're done. A You're like... a bit like Taylor from Singapore, or... Uh...
2: Rooster, you will be the rooster of podcasts.
1: <laughs> hey, uh, hey Chris, um...